0: This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash FM. This is J.G. Hertzler, General Mar talk on Deep Space Nine,
1: and you're listening to Trek FM.
0: Welcome to season 3 episode 9 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today is part 4 in our series on Ira Steven Bear as a showrunner where we look at Bear's fifth series, Crash 2007. The That's 4400 2000. is canceled. From what I understand, Ira Steven Bear was not exactly happy by the fact that 4400 was canceled. It sounds like he was uh, uh, planning on doing a lot of other things and this was upsetting to him. And it also left him without a writing gig. So, that's how it stayed for a year, until 2009 when stars came to him about Crash. But let's take a step back first. 2005. Paul Haggis, the writer of... uh, Movies such as Million Dollar Baby and Flags of Our Fathers, and and the uh, I think he ran um, Walker Texas Ranger for a while there. He writes and directs. I guess he wrote it with another guy, Bobby Moreno. I think he writes and directs a movie called Crash. It's a movie about various people living in L.A. whose lives intersect with one another. Um, Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of it is about uh, race relations and whatnot, and it's a bunch of stories, and at various times they crash into each other and change their lives for one reason or another.
1: Built on the conceit that different ethnicities live in completely different worlds, Mm -hmm. and their lives don't intersect or overlap in any way. People might talk to them in a professional context, but everyone lives in their own reality. And the only way to get people from different ethnicities to be involved with each other is for there to be an unforeseen event like a car accident. Well, it sometimes their lives to intersect in a significant way.
0: Sometimes it's a car accident. Sometimes it's other things. You know. Well, I but think the
1: idea is that the, the, the idea it's a collision, like the collision of of mm-hmm. cultures. Yes. And it's literalized with the car accident. Mm-hmm. Well, accidents. Yeah. In, in the in the movie and show. Yeah. So mainly the question is: Is it good at depicting these issues?
0: I I guess that that is a question and um, the answer according to the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences is yes because Crash won uh, Best Picture for the 2005 um, awards season and uh, it starred Don Cheadle and Sandra Bullock and uh, a bunch of other people Brendan Fraser is in there Uh, Terrence Howard Marina Sirtis is in there somewhere buried in there.
1: What are your thoughts on Crash?
0: The sh- the the movie?
1: There are a lot of problems with this movie. But the most of them are simple problems that are like common to a lot of movies, especially, you know, Oscar Bait movies. There's a lot of the same sort of things being hit. It's about like cultural problems and 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 social unrest and it deals with these issues in a way that makes people frustrated and upset at the way the world is and they want things to change. And this movie presents a very ridiculously stupid version of how to change things, which is essentially, Hey, everybody be nice. And that's the way that they, they depict it in the film is essentially it, it actually by virtue of, of reducing all of the various conflicts down to, like, the, the, like, not only a sup- an overly simplified version of them, but in many ways a radical departure from what actually is occurring in the real world. Like, they so mischaracterize race relations that, that their responses actually end up seeming, to me at least, to be actually racist. The way that some of these race relations are dealt with nicely ends up being very oddly dismissive of the actual concerns. And that bothered me about the movie a lot. The idea that this was trying to be something like to end racism, but it actually felt very much like we are trying to make racism much harder to fight because we like it. We like our categories. We like our labels. We like the way this world works. And like, there are lots of ridiculous stereotypes in that movie it's very upsetting
0: i guess i didn't hate it as much as you did i didn't like it i thought that it was a little too scattered and i I thought that it was overly melodramatic and i think that a lot of the things like like the racism in the movie are dealt with um in like you were saying kind of a simplified fashion which made it uh, kind of pointless. I remember getting kind of excited when it was announced that there was going to be a director's cut released, and there was initially a uh, report coming out that it was going to be about uh, 20 minutes shorter than the actual film. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, if that's accurate that could actually make that movie good. I could see trimming 20 minutes out of that movie and making it a good movie. In reality, it ended up being three minutes longer. I never saw the director's cut. Um, I did go back and watch it after it won Best Picture because I felt like perhaps I had missed something. Perhaps I had seen it when I was in a bad mood. I didn't know. But what I did know was that 2005, to me anyway, was the best year for movies of the decade and the idea that crash won best picture
1: is absolutely crazy i'm trying to think of something else that came out that year and like the only thing that's popping in my head and i'm not even sure this is right is brokeback mountain
0: 2005 we had batman begins star wars episode three revenge of the sith okay domino it Sounds
1: terrible so far.
0: All of this sounds awful. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh, maybe this really sounds like a terrible year for movies. <laughs> good night and good luck. I okay, mean, so that one's totally good. May- maybe movies that you don't it's not like. Fantastic, but, but, but they're it's movies that 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 I like. That's sure. too bad. Okay, regardless, you shouldn't like those things. Anyway, Crash was definitely not one of the best movies of that year. That. For me, it was the end of it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about it that I kind of hated, and I know that this goes outside of the movie itself, and, and it's just sort of the attention that it was getting uh, and, and the idea that people were like, this is so great because it shows these stories and the way that they intersect in L.A. and blah, 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 and all this stuff, and I'm like, this feels to me a lot like Magnolia, only a hell of a lot worse than Magnolia. I know that you're not a fan, But I love Magnolia, and to me, Crash is like a B-grade Magnolia.
1: I I wouldn't disagree with that. Magnolia is not good, and Crash is a dumber version of that.
0: Yeah, I agree with the second part for sure. Anyway, obviously, since it won Best Picture, and since it was released by Lionsgate, and they're not known for turning out Best Pictures, they're known for turning out um eh. well now Tyler Perry movies, um Hunger Games movies, Twilight movies, uh whatever Jason Statham is starring in and in terms of their DVD catalog, at least 2 to 3 versions of Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which is arguably okay, probably the best thing in their catalog. So, so, Crash wins Best Picture is extremely popular, so of course, what do you do? You turn it into a TV show. Which, on paper, I can see, No. as far as movies
1: are concerned... No, what you just said is ridiculous.
0: I, I could see how a Crash show could translate to the television medium fairly easily. No, what you're I'm saying not, right now is literally crazy. I'm not saying that it would be good... I'm just saying, I can see how you could turn that into a show. I can see how you could say, like, this is a thing. We can turn it into this other thing. If that makes sense to me.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Fine. So in 2008. I think that sounds insane. Okay. So in 2008, Glenn Mazzara, who would go on to uh, run The Walking Dead in yeah. seasons, what, two and three? He's the guy who was hired after uh, they fired Frank Darabont.
1: Yes, he was one of the... Um, well, he was he briefly occupied the, the showrunner chair at The Walking Dead before they started the music again, and he had to pick up the chair.
0: Basically, for those people who don't know, the way that showrunning on Walking Dead works is they get someone in there, he's hugely successful, they fire him, yep. hire someone else who is also hugely successful, and fire him.
1: Yes, and uh, oddly enough, they've actually been promoting from within for yeah. a while now.
0: So Mazara, I haven't seen his stuff on Walking Dead. Would you say that it's quality stuff?
1: Sure, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Okay. So, the Walking Dead is not a, like a transcendently fantastic show. But he's okay. He's but it's, solid. It's, it's competently done. He's a solid writer.
0: Yeah. Okay, so he he's brought in, he, he creates this show, Crash, for... Uh, stars and it's interesting in that it's not a uh, a remake of the of the movie that's not the same characters It's basically taking this idea and saying well let's look at different characters let's take the concept and kind of expand on that and and say like this is a movie about people in LA and their lives colliding with each other let's do that, but now with different characters and, and just explore those things over the span of 13 hours instead of two hours. So what did you... Th- and, 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 <laughs> I gotta tell you,
1: that's... Uh, I mean, like, think about what you're saying here. Like, the, the, the lives of these characters, they occupy different realities. Their they're, they're, they're little cultures are, 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 are you know, separated from each other, like, by by, by, by lifestyle, but not by space like and and they intersect when like these collisions occur these these cultural collisions and sometimes it happens literally in the form of a car accident which is the show's like main way of getting these characters together that sounds insane and it is i guess it, it is insane <laughs> i
0: guess what i'm just saying is like if if you have that idea if you think that idea works as a movie the idea of Expanding on that for the small screen, I think is is interesting. It's similar to what they did with the traffic uh, mini series um, post movie.
1: I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not arguing the the like adaptation logic. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that by doing this thing, mm-hmm. they made a show that does not make logical sense as uh-huh. a TV show from week to week. The first episode of this show. Features, like, the first collision. It does, yeah. That doesn't make sense. It's, you know, that's
0: a device. I mean, and we can get into that in a second. But I guess what what I'm saying, what appeals to me about it is kind of like what we were talking about a couple weeks ago with the Twilight Zone, which is like even though it doesn't have anything to do with the movie, there's no reason to say that these things aren't happening in the same universe. You know, there's no reason to say that Marina Surtis isn't somewhere in this T V world and that maybe one day we'll see her pop up in the show. Perhaps during sweeps. Maybe not Marina Surtis, but maybe Don Cheadle.
1: What you're saying I think is is part of what I think the problem of the show is. Like on a very basic level like i got this this weird sort of impression when the movie came out which was like like aside from being felt insu- feeling insulted by the film aside from you know feeling that they have mischaracterized all of you know american like race relations in this one movie i also felt like they were making a big deal out of something that was just normal now the idea that you don't focus your work your fiction on like one race like if you've got all white guys in there, you've screwed up cuz it's just not how the world is anymore. Like if you live in a city, you deal with a lot of different races on a regular basis. It doesn't it would be weird if you didn't have like like some black people and some hispanic people and some asian people involved in your story that features a white guy. Yeah, and And they made such a big deal about how this was a thing and it's just like that's just not life anymore. Yeah, like, this is normal now. Like, this this idea of, like, a movie where you have all these different people, that's just reality. You don't need to have a plot device because that's just not actually how the world works anymore.
0: And we can get into that in a second, too. Um, now, I guess, like, the big star in, in the TV show was Dennis Hopper. He played a, a music executive. And uh, there were a number of other, you know, people in the show as well, some that you'd recognize, some that you wouldn't. So what were your thoughts on the first season of Crash? Terrible show. Okay.
1: Uh, Basically unwatchable. Okay. Not only terrible as, like, you know, bad drama, like, these characters are boring and what's going on is stupid. Terrible as in, like, this show's attempt to deal with race relations is making it really hard to not become a racist. Because they seem really dead set on making you believe that like all the stereotypes that you have ever been exposed to are all true and they're much worse than they, than they seem to be. Because every character in the show really molds very comfortably onto a racial stereotype. It's kind of, it's not kind, it's very disturbing. When I, when I was watching it, I was like infuriated that this was not vilified. Like people, people responded to this show like saying, "Like, oh, it's not very good. It's kind of a stupid show. It's it sucks," and and no one was saying this is an incredibly racist show because these people are not thinking about what they're doing. They are trying to deal with racism in a stupid way, and they are actually making it worse. Um,
0: I guess I can kind of see that. I think some of that comes from just sort of like clunky writing, especially early on. Like, there, there, yeah. there is a thing which happens here, which, you know, you've seen a million times, basically any time that a movie has been adapted into a TV show. The one that stands out to me is the sort of opening montage to establish uh, the overall story of the Lefemme Nikita television show, where... What? <laughs> look, like, like, if you look at Nikita, the movie, that's a story about a woman who is a a junkie, essentially, Mm -hmm. who, in the middle of a sort of robbery gone wrong from her perspective, she ends up killing a cop in cold blood. She is then sentenced to death but taken by a secret service type of uh, agency and groomed and trained into becoming a uh, cold-blooded killer, an assassin, for some sort of Section 31 type of uh, government agency. So you, you think about that as a TV show, and it's like, oh, that could work too. You could, you could do that as a TV show. You could do that as a TV show twice. And, you know, it, it's like, well, you you just have her adventures as a spy, you know, whereas she has a full arc in the movie. You could totally string that out for numerous seasons. And... That's what they did. And so when I heard that they were doing this as a show, La Femme Nikita, I was like, oh, right on. I'm, uh, I'm going to check that show out. And I watched the very first part of the very first episode where they established that she is not a cold-blooded killer who um, murdered a cop. She is a woman who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and was standing by... Uh, I don't even think it was a cop that got killed. I think it was just like a woman uh, who got uh, knifed to death. And she happened to be walking by as it happened and picked up the knife. And basically the cops saw her standing over the body and said, Oh, you're a cold-blooded killer. We're going to sentence you to death, blah, blah, blah. But by doing that, you establish that, Oh, this is a likable character who you can relate to over the course of Uh, five seasons on on the USA Network or whatever it is. And I really felt like that kind of thing, that clunkiness was going on in Crash. In the early episodes you had like you're saying, a car crash and you have sort of a same scenario which was set up in the movie with Matt Dillon and Tandy Newton where this cop was taking advantage of this woman and then the story kind of spins out from that and there are all sorts of like very stereotypical race uh, relations which don't really make any sense to the point of being almost a cartoon and it was really, really frustrating and As the season progressed, after I got about halfway through the season, I started warming up to it because the stuff that didn't involve that actually worked pretty well for me. There were some storylines which were just dead in the water, and there were other storylines which I thought were really interesting and went to really cool places. For example, the Dennis Hopper storyline, the way that it starts off is absolutely ridiculous, just like what you're talking about and all this other stuff. But as it progressed, it changed and grew and become became something different. And then by the end of it, you've got Dean Stockwell running around with the scorpion in the desert. And who doesn't like that, really? I mean, honestly, come on. I I, I definitely warmed up to season one, over the course of it. So that by the time I got to the end, there were some things in there, uh, like the cop storyline where I was just like, come on guys, this is, you're reverting back to your old selves. You're, I mean, the first few episodes are almost unwatchable, but, uh, there was a lot of stuff in there, which I thought was decent. I don't think it was a great show by any stretch of the imagination, but it was okay. It was definitely better than the movie. And then I started reading about, uh, Season two. Now, the reaction to season one was n- not good. It wasn't terrible, but it was definitely tepid, and so were the ratings. And like uh, Iris Stephen Bear was saying, you know, any other network would have canceled it, but for whatever reason, Stars decides to keep it around because I don't know, Spartacus needs a lead-in. I don't know. They decide to keep it for season two, but they also decide that. A substantial reinvention is needed. So, first first step, they fire Glenn Mazzara. I'm assuming maybe he left. I don't know, but he was gone regardless. Now, Iris Stephen Barr says that you know there are some lurking variables. You know, he he feels that Mazzara is a good writer, but um, the the deck may have been stacked against him, and who knows what other circumstances were involved.
1: I think the deck was stacked against him when they said let's make a crash into a TV show.
0: But maybe maybe I'm wondering what the if he went to them or if they went to him. I'm assuming they went to him, but I don't know. So it's now 2009 and they say, "Hey, Iris Steven Bear, do you watch this show Crash?" And Iris Steven Bear says, "Nope." And they say, "Oh, well do you want to run it?" And he watches the show and goes back to them and, and says, okay, yeah, well, you know, you've got some things here that work and some things here that don't. And, you know, if if you let me basically keep what elements I want and jettison the ones that I don't, then you could theoretically do this as a good show. <laughs> <laughs> So, the, the big thing that he said. Oh, God. The big thing that he said is that in towards the end of the season, it basically became a cop show, and he said that the last thing that TV needed was another cop show. So, in order to basically get rid of that storyline completely, he decided that the first thing that needed to be done was to tear down the sets for the police station. Mm-hmm. Basically, get rid of all the cops. He kept four characters, one of which was Dennis Hopper, and he started the series in season two basically from scratch, so much so that he designed it so that if you had never seen an episode in season one, you wouldn't be uh, lost at all. He introduced a lot of new characters, the big one being Eric Roberts, who plays like a very, very, very wealthy billionaire. Who he described as sort of a um bobby kennedy like transformative figure, and that he starts off uh wanting to build a football stadium and he's in it for the money, then he has a uh religious experience i guess you could say
1: because he has, he has he passes out he passes he out has, he, has he thinks that, he
0: thinks that God has spoken to him, and when he comes out of it he Decides that his uh, his mission in life is to basically build a city for the homeless. Yeah. Um, the, his wife is played by Linda Park, by the way, of Enterprise fame. Yes. I read an interview with him where they said, hey, did you cast Linda Park because she was on Enterprise? And he's like, uh, nope. I didn't know that she was on Enterprise because uh, I never saw that show. Yeah. And they're like he's like, if I wanted to cast someone from Star Trek, I would have cast some of my DS nine homies. Yeah. <laughs> he even said that he, he wanted Andrew Robinson to be on it, but he was teaching at that point in time. I'm assuming as the Eric Roberts character. I, I can't think of who else he would play. And he also talked about how he'd want Jeffrey Combs to be on there because Jeffrey Combs is in like everything that he does, but he couldn't
1: really find a, a role which suited him. You kidding me? He plays God. <laughs> there you go. He was a head character that whispers to Eric
0: Roberts. Uh, they it should have it had you on staff. No. <laughs> the, other, the other character who they bring in is a uh, younger man who was a former uh, star pitcher in high school but who blew out his arm and is now running his uh, hobby shop with his mom.
1: Yeah, I'd like to talk about that, because that guy's plotline made no sense <laughs> to me. And, and like there were points where I was like, do I not get this because I don't know baseball? Or do I not get this because this does not make sense?
0: Okay, before we get into that, before we get into that... You listen to the ideas that Bear has. You listen to his critique of season one and his ideas for changing it in season two. You listen to uh, him talk about uh, what he has planned for the Eric Roberts character. You you, you hear what what he has um, planned for, for the show on the whole. The idea, like he says, that it was kind of pitched to him as a Dickensian story and, and what writer can turn that down. And... and I you get really excited. I get really excited. I was looking forward to watching this show more than probably. Well, I, I've pretty much seen all the other shows, but more than any other show that I can think of watching right now, I was like, I cannot wait to see season two of Crash. I cannot wait to see Iris Stephen Bear do this on you know pay cable with no commercials, with no genre conventions. I am excited to see what he does with this show. And you know a couple of weeks ago when we were talking to Larry Nemichek and he was telling us about how uh when Michael Pillar gave Bear his script for insurrection and when Pillar came into the his office, Bear took off his glasses and mm-hmm. right then and there Pillar knew that he was in trouble. Yes. If I were Iris Stephen Bear, and Iris Stephen Bear were to come into my office with season two of Crash, I would take off my glasses. I, I love Iris Stephen Bear as as much as as uh, anyone can love a television showrunner who they've never met.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad you put that at the end there, because I was going to be like, I'm pretty sure he's married. <laughs> But
0: um, <laughs> with that being said, everyone has duds, and Crash is Iris Stephen Bear's dud.
1: I agree. I think that I think that it's unfair almost to to say that that he screwed anything up. I mean, it's not. It, I said it before, it's not a, a, an idea for a show. It, it's an idea for a plot device to get um, more demographic like like boxes checked. Well,
0: but let's talk about that because what I see in watching Bear's show, in his defense, I see basically the race stuff is gone. You know, he basically got rid of that and decided to just make it about um, people in different parts of, in different places in life, in different places in society. And um,
1: are you ignoring the big, really big. Directly dealing with race, the, the thing? thing at the end.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, he he left that out for a good twelve episodes, and then went like full throttle in the last one, and then it was just kind of like, okay, whatever. But let's back
1: it up. Let's just talk about the first twelve that is episodes. Freaking <laughs> like like flaming red herring from space. Let's just talk that about the first a giant crater. Let's talk about the first twelve episodes, okay? Let's yeah, let's focus on the first twelve episodes <laughs> and not ignore the that thing one. at the end that <laughs> makes the whole thing look idiotic.
0: Okay, okay. So so he he really got away from the race stuff. Whereas you know, like in season one, it was ridiculous. Like even to the point of like little scenes, like um a woman hires a contractor and she's supposed to meet the contractor at her house. And then she walks into her living room and there's a black guy standing in her living room. And she's like, Oh my God, who are you? And he's like, I'm the contractor. And she's like, Oh, 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 I didn't expect you to be black.
1: You know? Yeah. The, the first season of the show, there's there, there was a, there were a shocking number of points where I was like, what's happening? <laughs> what just happened? And then like, someone would say like, like a racial story. And I was like, Oh, racism. I forgot it because like 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 I don't know. Like I it doesn't <laughs> pop in there. Like the, my first thought is like what what did she do they know that guy? That happened a lot. Yeah. Like I I was I like I was surprised by the racism every time it appeared cuz it always appeared like like oh, hello, sir. Oh, hello, black man <laughs> who I don't like cuz of blackness. <laughs> It was really weird every time. Yeah. In season two, they kind of edged around it until the end. Until the end. When but we, we they we're... exploded <laughs> racism all over my face.
0: <laughs> we, we'll get to that in a second. But, okay, back it up a little bit. So so that's gone. You also have the, you know, um, uh, crashes, I think, were gone. Although, here's the thing, right? I read an interview with him. I read a couple interviews with him. I watched an interview with him in regards to, to crash. And there's one thing where they were like, are the stories going to intersect? And he's like, yeah, they will. Of course, that's part of the fun. But we need to be careful with it or whatever. He's like, any time that we have a crash... We need to blah, 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 and these crashes can be fun, but at the same time, you know, they're dangerous because you get into the problem of cliché and stuff like that, and this guy is doing this thing, and this guy is doing this thing, and he's going to crash into them, and he kept on talking about these things as crashes. Yes. Like, this is a thing. This is a part of this show, and I mean, I guess it is, you know? Yes, it's a crash, but anytime it happens— it is the most forced, ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And, I mean, there's a one episode where the, the, the young guy goes to the billionaire's house because his mom donated $300, which they don't have, and he wants to get it back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the, the billionaire invites him upstairs, and then there's a citywide blackout. And he basically spends the rest of the episode up in the billionaire's house waiting for the blackout to end. Hmm. It doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. It's ridiculous. And um, I, I, that kind of thing was just like, man, yeah. If you're burdened with that, that's you, you. I don't see how you can make a good show. But the thing that really surprised me was. That I don't think it was as good as season one. Like everything that he changed, I thought he changed for the worse. You know, when I first looked at it, I was like, "Okay, the characters I that's that, crazy." I'm like, the characters that he's keeping are the ones that I I responded to. You know, Dennis Hopper's character was is definitely the best in the show, and his relationship with his his driver, his black driver, who wants to be a rapper. Okay. <laughs> 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 that that relationship to me is the best part of that show so season 2 that, that that thing you know it ends where it ends season 2 picks up Dennis Hopper's daughter has been killed and the entire season is basically him trying to figure out who, who killed his daughter yeah that doesn't work at all the Eric Roberts thing <laughs> the Eric Roberts thing I think was okay um, oh boy! But we'll we'll get to that in a second too. Oh boy! Because that that ties into the the overall Iris Stephen Bear mythology, I think a bit. But before we get into that, uh, oh, well, first off, the other two characters who they brought over were um, two people who had a relationship in season
1: one, and don't have a relationship in season two.
0: It was it was the cop who crashed into the woman and the woman that he uh, uh, you know There's- assaulted. And basically, they ended up in a relationship. At the end of season one, the relationship ends, and the two of them go their separate ways. He becomes a security guard, which makes sense. His progression kind of makes sense. His character is a little weird because he seems completely transformed, whereas in the first season, he was a total jackass. In this season, he's one of the most likable characters on the show. So that doesn't really make a lot of sense. But her character is essentially a different character. I mean, she's in a different place in her life. She's acting completely differently. And basically, those two people are like the same in that they had these two actors under contract. And by the way, they didn't. I mean, I don't know why they would keep these two. I can kind of see the guy. I can kind of see the the, the woman, too. Um, But it basically is like they are two completely different characters. And I don't think they're as good as the ones in season one.
1: There's, well, I don't know. Look, the the guy, the whole thing with the guy is, like, you know, he's done a lot of crazy nonsense, so he gets fired from the police force. That makes sense. Yeah. And um, this crazy woman is no longer involved in his life.
0: And I guess her her life goes to, you know, it, it gets to a place where... Basically, she's lost everything. So th- she so she starts uh, dating uh, basically a, a very very low level con man.
1: Right, but like the both of these people's like <laughs> like, like lives seem mainly transformed by not being involved with each other's lives. I guess so. And that did not actually that is that didn't seem like a big deal to me because like they they had a ridiculous relationship, and every time they were on screen together, I thought this is a stupid scene. This is a stupid scene that I'm watching. I would really like it if they would stop doing this. Because this relationship not only is not fun to watch, it has nothing interesting to say. It's really just like, hey, look at these two dysfunctional people being ridiculous. Isn't that dramatic? I don't even know. I mean, is this how a TV show works? That's what I felt coming from the writer's room watching that those episodes. Maybe. So when they ended that, I mean, like, I could have sent them a gift basket for how happy I was to not see those two characters interacting anymore because their interactions were idiotic and their relationship was tedious and boring and stupid. And them not being together, uh, I was willing to accept just about any kind of transformation because they were primarily defined by their stupid relationship.
0: Maybe, but I, I don't know. I To me, I didn't have a problem with that, really. I, I, I was okay with their relationship. I found it to be rather interesting. But... uh the direction that they, they put these characters in... No, I guess the cop I was okay with. But what they did with the uh, the, the, the woman, I, I didn't really... I, I didn't respond to that at all. I don't know. But well. moving on to the other new character, which is the former baseball player.
1: WTF. Um. I don't know. Uh, uh, you, you mean you don't know what's going on with that guy? I
0: don't know what's going on with that storyline. What is going on with that storyline? I was asking you that. Okay, well, here, let's try to break it down. Here's a guy who, okay, he he was a baseball player.
1: Now he's not because he's, he, he screwed up his arm.
0: In high school, he was, like, on his way to become a, a major league star. He okay. screws up his arm. Yeah. So he goes and he's running the hobby shop, the failing hobby shop that his, his dad established his mm-hmm. dead dad established, which but now still, runs in his mom.
1: Fun place to be. Whatever.
0: So so he sees a uh, a, a kid who mm-hmm. looks like he has potential on this baseball team and he basically takes him under his wing to show him, you know, how to make it. Yep. You know, he's trying to basically uh get a do over. Living vicariously through this kid. So
1: Yeah. That's a little that, re- that there's there's some sweat on the brow of the writers when that starts happening.
0: So so uh, and that's the first thing that happens with this character. So that relationship quickly turns obsessive, and he starts doing things which don't make any sense at all.
1: Well, there's the first thing is like he's like you shouldn't hang out with that girl anymore. She's distracting.
0: Yeah and so he gets the kid to break up with his girlfriend
1: right like that's the first time like it seemed odd and Mm -hmm. i didn't quite get it but like at the same time i thought like maybe this is a thing well you this is kind of normal. don't
0: forget there was the scene earlier where he's stalking them he's in his car watching them as they make out on the
1: benches right but like like i don't know what that was i don't know what was going on there because like it would have been easy if i could just say like to me, to is me, he obs- is he a pedophile? Is he in love with this kid? Well, I, I read it as jealousy. I don't
0: think that he was a pedophile, but I think that he wanted this kid's attention. He wanted right. this kid's full attention.
1: Right? Uh, like uh, none of it. None, none of it makes sense. None of it holds together in any sort of way that makes it sense doesn't. to me. Because if I say like like he he wants to be, have this kid's life and and live vicariously through his, his success. Uh, like uh, that doesn't really work because it doesn't really seem like he cares that much about this kid's success. I think he, I think he cared a lot about the kid's success. Anyway, I, got, I like, I couldn't,
0: I, I couldn't get a beat on this guy because, like, so, every
1: time, like, I thought, like, I had like a handle on, it, I was oh, like, well, because, no, that
0: doesn't fit. That's because it kept on spir- spiraling into more and more craziness. You know, the the, the next thing that happens is a uh, is another star kid comes in whose dad was a major league pitcher and he starts you know like overshadowing this other guy and they conf they have a conflict he wants to i guess be cool with these kids so at first he uh smokes pot with them then he goes and gets a hooker and has sex with the hooker while the kids watch yep (laughs) Then he buys beer for them. And then that's when the other kid finds this dude's scrapbook of the kid who he's mentoring. And that's when, I think it's at that point, that the first kid gets a restraining order. And then he goes and yells at the kid, and the kid's parents beat him up. And then... I can't remember if that was before or after he mugs the, the, the star pitcher kid's kid and shatters his pitching arm, essentially ending his career.
1: There's a lot that goes on with this character, and I don't get most of it. But like I got the impression that somebody said like, Oh he's crazy. Oh yeah. But like but, they mean, like, like, like put every time crazy, like like and they said like I mean this is how we explain these these bizarre
0: actions. Halfway through halfway through the season they basically jettison the, the, the story with the baseball yeah. and decide to shift it to a different form of crazy where now he's dating a woman and he's basically doesn't know how to how to deal with a relationship. He's jealous of his mom at one point. His mom is jealous of him. He's very sort of prudish in some ways, but in other ways, he's very uh, kinky. And basically, everything that he does, you're just like, what? And, And not in a like, that's messed up kind of way, although sometimes kind of, but more in a like,
1: why would you do that kind of way? Well, th- this is a character that throughout this run, I-, I would periodically go, I don't know why he's doing this. And, and because it seemed so, like, matter of fact, <laughs> I regularly thought, did I miss something? <laughs> like, but it
0: happened so many times. You know, yeah, and then no, they just built but, on it. No, it's basically everything it. he does. Yeah. And basically, what it was leading up to was at the end, he basically is the the big catalyst for the final crash. Uh,
1: I think we're in agreement that that storyline doesn't work at all. I don't. Th- I don't even know. I don't even know what that was. That's th- sort of the problem. Mm-hmm. I can't. I cannot like connect those dots in a logical way. Because it seemed like every time he was inv- every time he was on screen, like they were saying like, "Hey, what if he had a completely different character motivation, this scene?": It was really weird. Like, like, every single time it just seemed like like, I, I don't know, maybe let's just try it. Let's give him." If-, if he was like constantly like just like his whole consciousness was like just disintegrating and then being like re- re- reabsorbed like by other elements, that would make a kind of sense. If he was just like a boggle. Machine with a dice popping around his head, creating I mean, different
0: results. I mean, I, I I I know that they were trying to go with you know the idea that this guy was you know sort of emotionally disturbed. You know, probably had some some mental disorders, and it's quite possible that you know a psychiatrist could look at this character and be like, oh, well, obviously what's going on is blank, but uh. it
1: did not read like that to me there's there are are characteristics there are behavioral patterns yeah this guy was like unbelievably dynamic in his madness because he was always different and always very proactive. Mm-hmm. Like he was always going out there and like, I'm going to go do something crazy. And he like, he like put his hat on. He like straightened up his tie and he's like, do it a crazy thing today. <laughs> different than yesterday's crazy thing. And like, it was like really bizarre because he was like, not, not like locked into any particular dysfunctional behavior. It was like every day he was like, that dysfunctional behavior I exhibited yesterday was kind of cool, but I don't want to repeat myself. <laughs> yeah so
0: i don't know so so that storyline did not work at all for me at all i mean when they started up with the baseball thing and he was like oh he's mentoring this kid i'm like oh this is sweet i like this i'm i'm totally digging this i can't wait to see where they go with this baseball storyline and then he starts going all Crazy, you know. Um,
1: you were hoping that they would, they would, they would stick with the, <laughs> the baseball mentoring thread. I, I, I was hoping that that you know, like while you all you this other get, stuff like, was going on, on the, like season five when right. he's like dealing with like uh, curveballs, like,
0: like all this stuff was going on, and then this storyline was just going to be like, yeah,
1: extremely um, technical baseball like, training minutiae. right?
0: Like, like here, here's the thing: you got to learn how to th- th- throw this curveball. You know, you know, your kids can't hit the curve. You know, they have trouble with the curve.
1: There's an arc where like he 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 might have like sprained his arm, and, right? Like, There's concern that he might, like Megan's it's it's training, like, like
0: following the just like the course of the season, you know, yeah. kind of like the stress been, of
1: starting a baseball career, right? And how hard that is.
0: Man, I, I totally wish they would have done that. And it like has nothing to do with anything else except at one point Eric Eric Roberts is like, you know what? I'm not going to build a football field. I'm going to build a baseball field. And they're like, hey, yeah. And then they, he goes and he gets to play at the baseball field. And that's the big crash at the end. Is he like, gets them, like, as a consultant it's to, like, go a collision in, at like take a look plate, at the, the you know?
1: architect's, like, mock-up. And goes, like, no, you want the showers a little bit closer. Yeah. Because we don't, we don't want to, like, walk, like, like, 20 minutes to the showers. It's going right. to be really nasty at the end of a game. Right. That would be a nice crash.
0: That would have been cool.
1: <laughs> but that's not what they did. Uh, uh, just okay. for the record, that sounds... Just as bad in a completely different way. <laughs> I, I disagree.
0: <laughs> okay, so 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 now let's just move on to the big thing. The big thing, which I think ties into Bears' career on the whole, and that's Eric Roberts' storyline. Now he plays a billionaire. He wants to build a football field. He has a. Uh, he basically blacks out and has a vision. And believes that God has spoken to him and has told him that what he needs to do is build a town uh, in which to um, build a city. Build a city for homeless people.
1: For the dispossessed.
0: Right. And that sounds familiar. And what's interesting is the in in one of the interviews that I read. Bear was asked how this stuff relates to his genre work, and he's like, well, you know, there's certain things, blah, blah, blah. You know, one of the big things is that I, I, it, I've got characters exploring faith, not religion, but faith. Mm-hmm. And that's something which is obviously apparent in 4400 with Jordan Collier and in Deep Space Nine with uh, Benjamin Sisko. Uh, and
1: Kira and sure. a bunch of other people.
0: And, uh, I think it was really interesting to see it here in a non-genre show. Did it work? I don't know. What do you think?
1: What? You mean Eric Roberts mm-hmm. having a weird sort of hallucination that, uh, God was speaking to him? Right. And God gave him, like, really cryptic messages mm-hmm. about, like, his responsibility and his duty to build a city? Right. Um... That was that was a, that was a mess. That was a complete mess, and there are lots of different things I could point to, but the main thing that I would point to is that it was completely ridiculous. It, like it was, it was like the most forced crash in the show. It was, it was like I I have no way of getting this crazy millionaire dude involved in like some other character's life. So, what if they're just at the same place at the same time, and when yeah. he has his blackout, and then but, he's like, I'm gonna inexplicably feel really like bound up with this character's life, who I met that one time when I had this near death experience. Like, it's so, oh, it's infuriating because, like, they had to know this is really thin, Ira. <laughs> this is really thin, seriously. I mean, I I could not describe to you how thin this is because we can't see objects
0: that thin. See, to me, the way that I saw it was, you know, he was probably like, we've got to have a crash. You know, we need to. This is one of the things that the studio is asking for. We need to have a crash. Yeah. I think it's ridiculous. You think it's ridiculous. Everyone thinks it's ridiculous. But at least here, and this is how I see it you're having a crash between an older character and a new character and by doing that it's not like you had you know the cop crash with Dennis Hopper you're having the cop crash with someone else and it happens right mm-hmm. at the beginning yeah and because of that i just
1: see that as let's say setup you know i look I, i'm not going <clears> to <throat> i'm not going to harp on that i'm just saying it's a very forced moment but it doesn't end there which is the problem If it had ended there, that would be one thing. But, like, this guy decides to carry this character along with his storyline because of what he attributes uh, as as divine intervention. And that's fine, you know, because... No, that's stupid.
0: I I don't have a problem with that because (laughs) if it wouldn't have been him, it would have been another character. You know, you might as well... There is nothing. I mean, there's no reason not to do that. I, that, that I don't have a problem with. The problem is if, if it, if is, it had is, been Dennis Hopper, I'd be like,
1: okay, you but know. This is this is this is a a a. I mean, I guess they said that it wasn't that it wasn't God, no. but at least for the first episode, this is literal Deus Ex Machina. The writers saying he has a near death experience, and then he says, "Hey, other character, take part in my journey now." Um, that you would not have been uh, able to I mean, access
0: otherwise. If it wouldn't have been him, it would have been someone else. I, I don't. I don't have no. A problem because with that.
1: it doesn't mean that. He, he, why would it mean that? Th- that no, to me. That it to wouldn't me have been anyone
0: else. It would have been the people that he knows. Well, fine. Then it would have been the people. Then they would have created. I mean, like we already talked about how you know the characters from season one were essentially reinventions of themselves. And but
1: they. But they're not. <coughs> like it's a forced. Contrivance—it's a contrivance to get him involved in somebody who is not already in his life, so that he has to reintroduce all the elements of his life, essentially as a means for exposition.
0: No, well, that's fine. I mean, hey, Billy Bathgate—you know, anything, any of these these things—it happens all the time. That's that to me is perfectly reasonable to do. I don't have any problem with that.
1: That's that—that's an incredibly. Sloppy way of getting characters, and I
0: don't connected. have any problem with the Eric Roberts storyline either. I think that if there was one storyline in season two which worked for me, it was that one. Um, I There's, don't think it's as good as anything in season one.
1: The storyline where he and, thinks that God's telling him to build a city, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and it turns out he has a brain tumor. Yeah, and he doesn't hear, and then he gets the tumor removed, and he doesn't hear God speaking to him anymore.
0: Right, but he still builds the city. Well, because he has that transformation, he has that. I mean, like to me, that that that's perfectly reasonable. You know, it, it it's it's Christmas Carol, is what it is. I'm
1: not saying I'm not saying that it's that it's implausible. I'm just saying that there's not a lot going on in it.
0: Oh, I don't think there's a lot going on in it either. I mean, do I think it's good?
1: Nah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know. I mean, but do I think it's you know terrible? Nah. It's, it's definitely it's, inc- it's, it's incredibly definitely the, thin. the, the it, it it's incredibly thin but it's definitely the best thing that's in season 2 and uh I think it is interesting to look at that uh on in in relation to the rest of Bears career. Um so for those reasons I'd say hey
1: It is kind of funny how how similar he is to Jordan Collier.
0: Uh, yeah, in a lot of ways. Um
1: sort of like I had some ideas still lying around, but they were like all bureaucratic procedural ideas. I'd really like to see someone sign the paperwork for zoning laws.
0: (laughs) One last thing. Um, I saw an interview online. It's on YouTube with Bear where he's talking to someone from the Santa Fe Film Festival, I believe it is, Mm -hmm. where he had participated in a panel about shooting movies and television shows in New Mexico. And uh, it is interesting because the thing which is revealed more than anything else in that interview is that they shot in New Mexico, in Albuquerque, which is really weird considering the fact that the show is all about living in L.A. Mm -hmm. You know, he even says that in, in uh, in the interview. And one of the things that I love about Bear is that he's so candid. He doesn't really care about image. He's more interested in uh just facts.
1: I think that, I think that R. Stephen Bear has a very natural aversion to being forced into being politically correct.
0: Yeah. So so here he's talking and he's like uh they're like, Oh, so you shot in New Mexico, what was that like? And he's like, Well, when they first pitched me the idea, I was like, I don't think that's gonna work. You know, especially since the show is supposed to take place in L.A. And it's all about, you know, he said, like, L.A. is the main character. If that's the, the, what you're saying, then how do you shoot that anywhere other than L.A.? And, you know, he went around, they drove him around. He's like, okay, show me downtown. Show me Hollywood. Show me, you know, the valley, all this stuff. And he said that as they kept on driving, you know. This was in Albuquerque. Yeah. And and as they kept on driving, he uh, started getting more and more. I guess discouraged, mm. and it got to the point where it was like, "Okay, that looks like L.A. Don't pan even a foot to the right, or else you'll see a cactus, which isn't supposed to be in L.A. But that right there looks like L.A. And he's like, we, you know, the other thing is we we have you know green screen technology, which is amazing. And when I don't know if that interview colored my. My uh, my viewing experience, but while watching it, all I could think of was: This is in L.A., this is Albuquerque, and the green screen shots are horrible. <laughs> and you can really tell that they stripped the budget down, and uh, and it not shooting in, in L.A. I think is sort of um, akin to the prequels being shot in front of green screens. Instead of in practical sets, like I got sort of the same vibe as I did uh from that, so that was kind of unfortunate. I understand the reasons for it you know i mean you're you're giving a, a basically a failing show a second shot, so of course you're going to slash budget as much as you can, uh, and that's a good way to do it, but you you really felt it on the screen, which was unfortunate
1: I th- I I I hear like all of this stuff about like shooting and like like budget cuts and how they weren't able to do this and that the, that none of that would have been a problem, had they stories yep. worth watching. That's true. They that that's really the problem. The problem is when you're when your main character is your location, you've screwed up.
0: Yeah. So, final thoughts on Crash.
1: Well, we didn't mention it. The show ends with the most ridiculous plot development imaginable.
0: Which one is that? Because I honestly don't know.
1: <laughs> the cult?
0: Oh yes, where we finally see uh Marco. Yeah. Is that his name? Marco? I don't know. From from uh Forty four hundred. So here he plays a uh, Charles Manson. No, he
1: plays Charles Manson. Okay. Like, they, there's there's no effort to make this, like, an original concept. This is the most... They, they ripped off a thing that happened. They actually ripped off history. I think history could sue. Yeah. Because okay. it's not clever. Like, they just made a modern-day Charles Manson and his cult. And they gave them like the exact same crimes mm-hmm. and they they said hey do the exact same thing that they did with the actual people and the actual murders and the actual Charles Manson and the actual girls like all of it is exactly the same and amazingly enough this crash where the guys meet with this these cult members amazingly enough that was not motivated by, by, the, by like an interaction. They were not already connected. It was literally just another crash. And
0: he, it, what they did was it was like the entire season is like leading up to this thing. And they're doing all these investigations. And they're trying to figure out who killed Dennis Hopper's daughter. Yes. And what it led them to in the finale was this. And yes. there's this extremely tense crash and then, basically, just as it's about to come to a head, Dennis Hopper walks in and is like, "Um, yeah, we were we were wrong. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, she was they, shot down over the yeah, Sea of Japan. There was a dude. He, um, but so these guys actually aren't involved. It's a th- mash reference. That no one will get at all. So
1: yeah, it's it's completely <laughs> idiotic. And you,
0: you know what I felt like? I felt like it was. It, it, this is what happened. They were like, well, this is a show and it's about race relations and everything. And Bear or whoever was like, oh, yeah, totally. Psh, you know? And then, like, th- they were doing their thing. They were making their stories, whatever, going throughout their thing. And then the studio or the network was like, hey, what happened to the whole race thing? Don't you guys need to? I mean, that's part of our thing. You guys need to put that in there. And they're like, um,. And then they just were like, Okay, final episode and they're just like
1: racism So your so your theory your so your theory was like Irish Stephen Bear was like it's like I got an idea. I'm a I'm am I'm a, I'm a dunk this at the end. People will be like, no. Oh, snap. did you see what he did there?
0: I don't think that that's what it is. I think what it is it's it's kind of like um you know, how, how police have like quotas so at the end of the month you're more likely to get a ticket? Because they should have been giving tickets throughout the entire month, but instead they were like, tickets. So, so your then, argument is, in the last is that because there the wasn't month, any like, racism oh, in season right. two until the end. They, he's like, like, he's like, oh, The network God. kept saying,
1: like, look, we need 100 racism <laughs> points by the end of this season. <laughs> yeah, and and you've got, like, like maybe like, six. Right, exactly. And he's like, all right, I could come up with something that has, like, maybe 94 racisms. <laughs> And, like I think that's what happened. That's that's see, that's, see, that's that's what I think happened. See, I think I think that that's sort of like part of the story because I think that what was actually happening was like, so what's that racism plot line you got going on for season two? And he's like, oh, I've got something. It's it's coming. Don't worry about it. It's I mean, like I'm cooking it up. I don't want to spoil anything. And then like you know he goes back to his office. He's like, I got nothing. Right. Exactly. I got nothing. And then at the very end, he's like, um, sh- dude, what's a crazy racism thing? <laughs> And like that guy was just like, yeah. I don't know, that Manson thing. And he's like, Gold, you're fired. I don't need you anymore.
0: I mean, I think that's, that is is kind of what happened. That's my guess or whatever. I don't know. Yes. Because I was really impressed by the fact that, that they, they got away from it. Because, I mean, like I started watching this show and like my wife would be in the room like knitting or whatever. And like th- throughout the first couple episodes of season one, she would just walk out and she'd be like, I can't watch this. This is just too stupid. Yeah. She's like, I cannot deal with the racism in this show. And then when season, you know, two started up, I was like, they've really gotten away from that. It's like really a different show. And she would actually sit in and watch chunks of season two, you know, and she wouldn't get up and leave. She would actually be interested in what was going on on screen. And then it gets to the end and it's just like, oh my God. So I, I really do feel like, Bear did not really want to deal with that stuff. He had these story. He was interested in the people. Yeah. He wasn't interested in these themes that have been, you know... Beaten to death by a movie and a season of television.
1: Well, I mean, look, the thing is, that my the thing that I found really insulting about the movie and the show in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways is essentially the idea that that racism is solved by people being nice to people with other of other races. Mm-hmm. Like that's not how it works. And one thing that I found like disturbing about season two is like when that cult thing showed up, I was like. This is the only example of dealing with like racial tensions, like the only significant one. There are little bits here and there, but like the only significant one in this season. And what bothered me was that this is not reflective of actual tensions Mm -hmm. in the nation. Like like race, like like white and black, like like tensions have never been about these crazy assholes. Manson. That was an anomaly. It was an outlier. Racism is, is much more about like, like essentially like economics and like the, the shape that history creates in, in, in lifestyle and the way people live. That's what racism really comes from. And it's never been about like white people wanting to kill black people. It's never been about that. That has always been like the freak, the, the weird outlier. And that's never, that's not the actual problem. Those, those are people, but they are not the problem. And by making them the only example, it sort of distracts from the underlying problem, which is that, like, it's really society and history that are that are the problem here. And, and like, it can't be resolved by just being nice. Being nice is not the answer. Like Like, fundamental change is the answer. And when you make it about being nice or about being hateful... You're you're essentially just dodging the main problem, which is history, and that's that's a problem for me.
0: All right. So, any other final thoughts on Crash,
1: season two in particular? It's not a good thing. Everything about like every, everything that like the, the show is based on is like the kind of basic stuff that should be in any story, not being so closed into like to one particular way of thinking. You know, be more expansive, include more people, more ways of thinking, more, more lifestyles. That's just part of basic storytelling now. Like if, you, if, you, if you're boxed into some, such a small little category, uh, that's not going to work. Certainly not unless you're making a point about how that category is screwed up. Yeah.
0: For me, I mean, just looking at season two in particular, you know, I, I had high hopes for it, despite the fact, maybe because of the fact that uh, the the movie and season one were not very good. I was like, oh, yeah, see, when your TV show is not working, you call in the big guns, you call in Iris Stephen Bear. I mean, that's what I would do. I would call in Iris Stephen Bear to do any show. If something wasn't working, if something was working, I'd be like, let's bring in Iris Stephen Bear and see what he, he can do with this. Because even if it doesn't work, he's at least going to have different ideas and uh, he might he might just strike upon something cool. And that is something that he's talked about. You know, he said that um, people were like, you're crazy, this show is a sinking ship. Why are you doing this? You know, it's not, you know, a high profile or anything like that. And he's like, well, that's why I like it. Worked for uh, Deep Space Nine, it worked mm-hmm. for 4,400, and, you know, I'm going to try it here. And this time it didn't work. But it is that attitude, that, you know, idea of uh, going out on a limb not doing the safe thing, changing up what already exists, and trying to make something better. You might fail. You might fall flat on your face, which I think he did here. But if you don't do that, you're not going to get things like Deep Space Nine. You're not going to get things like 4400. I completely agree. And I am more than willing to accept Crash Season 2
1: if it means Deep Space Nine. You know what I mean? I No, I know exactly what you mean. I've said on many occasions I would prefer someone try to do something crazy and fail miserably yeah. than for someone to do something well that has been done before. <clears throat> and there's a lot about, like, like Ira's, Ira Bear's work on Crashly I think is great. I, Th- but there are I, some I think intru- the yeah. problem was that, like, it not only was a sinking ship. This was a ship built to sink. <laughs> to,
0: yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing. You know, it's is it a good show? No. Is it as good as season 1? No. It's not. No, but but look, you hear you, but is, you, you hear his they're, ideas. are
1: terrible seasons. You, Quantifying which one's better is kind of absurd. But, but, but if you, you think that season 1 is better, you're you're on some kind of incredible drug that they probably manufacture <laughs> in LA now. But but you hear about like what his ideas were.
0: You know, like identifying the problems and coming up with solutions that is kind of brilliant you know the the ideas that he had the problem is that his solutions didn't work either but just the idea of like yeah i'm a fixer and i'm going to go in and i'm going to fix this thing it's like yeah you he did a good job of fixing the problems which existed it's just that he replaced them with a whole new set of problems and you know, I mean that happens, but whatever.
1: Like, like random baseball character.
0: The yeah, but um, you know, but there, oh, by yeah, the way, the by the way, God. did you catch the the uh deep space 9 reference in there where he's talking at one point he's like uh talking about how the hobby shop is important because he's like 70% of our customers are adults. And he, he's going on and he's like, well, you know, you get all these people and they have high stress jobs and they come in and you can just see that they're at peace, you know, and they just want to put these things together because because the thing about putting together models is, you know, every piece has its place, you know, and, and you know how the, these things fit together and people need that structure in their lives or whatever. That This is what he's doing. But as he's going through this little uh, analogy or whatever, he's like... People come in, and, you know, I'll sell them thing, and it doesn't matter. It could be an airplane or a model car, or it could be uh, a miniature of the Alamo.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm like, hey, the Alamo miniature. Yes, yeah. Deep Space Nine. There was an Alamo miniature on Deep Space Nine. So Crash Season 2 fits into Deep Space Nine continuity. Because of the Alamo <laughs> miniature? I'm assuming, right? No? Okay. No? Anyway.
1: Definitely no. <laughs> Regardless. Is the Alamo affinity <clears throat> versus Night Continuity? Because it's just a big version of the miniature? I don't know.
0: <laughs> Regardless. Okay. I guess my point, my final thought here, my point is that I do not like Season 2 of Crash, but I really like the fact that Iris Stephen Bear tried to do it. And if Iris Stephen Bear were to come in and be like, guess what, Guys, I'm doing season three of Crash. I'd be like, all right, I need to sign up for Stars now.
1: You wouldn't, you wouldn't say, hey, Ira. No. Hey. No. Quick question. Just you feel free to not answer. Um, why?
0: No, I wouldn't do that. Or maybe I would do that because <laughs> I think his answer would be, well, because I've got another idea. But see, here's the thing, right? The the other thing about Bear is I think that he has uh, a good handle on what it is he's doing. And I think uh, the reason why I would be looking forward to Season 3 of Crash is the same same reason why I don't think that he would ever do Season 3 of Crash. Do you see what I'm saying here?
1: I understand what you're saying. But are you aware that what you just said is... Quite possibly, the exact same thing that was wrong with that baseball guy.
0: <laughs> no, uh, what, what I'm saying here... Utter insanity. What I'm saying here is the the odds of, of Iris Stephen Bear doing season three of Crash are exceptionally small because, like you're saying, the idea of trying to make that work again is ridiculous, which is why I don't think he would ever attempt it, which is also why if he were to come in and say, I've got an idea for season three of Crash, I'd be like... I want to hear that idea because see, I am dying to see what it is you came up with see, in Orbit. That to is make
1: exactly what I'm saying when I say that I want a Star Trek movie to be based on a piece of the action. All right. Well, we will discuss that on Standard <laughs> Orbit in a couple of weeks, hopefully. Yeah. So,
0: Well, it has been fun talking about Crash this week, but that's not the only thing we're talking about on Trek FM. So take a look at uh, what else is going on around the network.
1: Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Romulans on TOS.
0: To be fair, maybe their visual communications were on a different codec. Maybe the, the original Earth ships were using Skype and mm-hmm. the Romulans were using Google+. Earl Grey. Generations with Standard Orbit. And again, I don't know if Mike and Drew would say that Kirk is at his best or not. No, he's not. But Chekhov, Chekhov is on point. (laughs) (laughs) The Ready Room.
1: Affliction and Divergence.
0: Yeah, the other interesting thing about that, though, is to compare the Klingon ethics with the Section 31 ethics, right? Because Mm -hmm. there are, like you said, there are some groups within the Klingons who maybe don't feel exactly the same way. But then there's this group within the humans who feels completely different. And you kind of wonder what the Klingons think maybe about someone who wouldn't do this. The Orb. Implications of genetic genetic enhancement. There's just a danger that you're going to become like the lower rung of Mm -hmm. society. And only the people whose parents have the money to enhance them are going to be those who have good lives.
1: To the journey!
0: Voyager Season 2 Marathon.
1: So he starts searching frantically for clues as to what happens when this small rock gets thrown at him. So he kind of ducks, pulls out his phaser, gets ready, and another stone comes flying through, and guess who's throwing it? It's gotta be the monkey.
0: Of course it is! Thank you!
1: Commentary, Trek Stars. The 4400. You're describing a scenario in which we watch something and laugh hysterically (laughs) that people all around us, everyone we know, will watch us react to this in this way and they would say, what is wrong with (laughs) you two? Warp 5. Xenophobia and the Coalition of Planets.
0: Justification in his mind is that the Vulcans were observing us. Mm. They knew the war was happening. Mm. They didn't do anything to stop it. But, you know, it really wasn't the place of the Vulcans to step in and stop one for three. Mm-hmm.
1: Literary treks. James, James Swallow, the Poison Chalice. Everybody in this story is dragged into a situation they don't want want to be in, and that's kind of where the the title, the Poison Chalice, originally came from. Is the idea that you know Riker is given this promotion, which uh, on paper sounds like a really great idea, but it's a poison chalice. You know, it, it turns out that it's not what he thought it was, and in fact, you know, he's being dragged into something that he doesn't want to be involved in. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So
0: check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek talk. We have new shows for you every day, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom, or you can stream and download files directly from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. Okay. So, you know, I know that we were going to talk about David Copperfield, but since, you know, now that I'm, I'm, I'm discussing it and everything, and, you know, we talked about the whole Dickensian thing, mm-hmm. and uh, I really do see Eric Roberts' character as going through sort of a uh, Ebenezer Scrooge-like transformation. So perhaps we should talk about that instead, A Christmas Carol which is another Charles Dickens story. Eh, We can talk about David Copperfield, too. Why not? You can get both of them on Audible.com. A Christmas Carol, you can get as read by Tim Curry, which is amazing. So, yeah, if you go to Audible.com, you can download David Copperfield unabridged, 33 hours and 53 minutes, or... If you're looking for something a little bit shorter, A Christmas Carol, which is, you know, around Everyone knows A three Christmas Carol, carol backwards
1: and forwards.
0: Well, then let's go with David Copperfield. They've got a million versions of it. You can get one here for $1.39 as read by Peter Batchelor. You can get tons of Charles Dickens stuff, and you can see how that stacks up to Crash Season
1: 2. David Copperfield makes Crash look like House Party 2. And you can get it for free.
0: Since you're a listener to Trek FM. So yeah, just go to audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks, with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or the latest novel... From your favorite author, as well, just go to audibletrial.com dot slash trek f m and sign up today again that's audibletrial.com dot slash trek f m and we thank you and audible for supporting commentary trek stars and trek.fm. you could also get a tale of two cities you could see uh what what happens in between that that first line and that last line that that shatner reads in uh star trek two and um Okay. You could also uh, get Casino Royale, which is the the book that uh, Paul Haggis adapted into the
1: second best Bond movie
0: ever. It's actually very true to the book. Very good book. You can get that on Audible, too.
1: Okay. The second best Bond <clears throat> movie ever?
0: Yeah, after Skyfall.
1: You think Skyfall is better than Casino Royale?
0: You're the only one who doesn't.
1: Skyfall is stupid.
0: Yeah. You're the only one who thinks that. Okay. Okay. As always, you can find us at uh, Trek FM, where we do this show, and I also do Standard Orbit with Drew. Um, You can find us doing Commentary Track Stars Off Topic with our friend Brandon on Mm CommentaryTrackStars.com. You can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars. And we'll be back next week with Brandon, our co-host on Off Topic, to discuss... Ira Steven Bear's 6th television show, Alphas.